well, instead of saying, yes, you know, you're probably right. I should, I shouldn't go into that because there aren't that many girls in it. Why did you decide to step into it anyway and go for it? Being told no was in itself a motivator to show the world that you could be different. You continue to look at it and you say, well, how am I going to create opportunity out of like adversity, right? And when you do that, you bring people along for that ride. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Kavitha Mariapan, who is the Executive Vice President of Customer Experience and Transformation, and is also the DEI Executive Sponsor over at Zscaler. She has extensive experience leading organizations through transformational change, innovation, and growth. She also speaks to many executives and board members on the criticality and benefits of having a strong cyber risk strategy and positioning. Kavitha, welcome to Lead the Team. Ben, thank you so much for having me, and um, good morning from sunny California. Yes. So how is Napa these days? Napa's fabulous, as always. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, um, we'll have to talk later about wine and cybersecurity. I'm not sure if they go together, but they might. Yeah, well, we'll find a mix. Yeah, yeah, we need something with that. Well, <laughs> well, Kavitha, one of the things that I immediately jumped on, and looking at your background, I was excited because you understand you have country hopped you have been you grew up in a couple different countries uh number one tell us about your cool accent and also how did those international transitions inform your leadership perspective i would love to share so um i was born in malaysia um and uh, raised, I grew up pretty much uh, in Australia, um, most of my formative years and uh, my education and my early work experience was in Australia. So that uh, was really the genesis of the story. And mm. um, so I graduated uh, with a degree in uh, communications and electronic engineering in the early 90s in Australia. Um uh, Believe it or not, um, not much has changed in the industry. I was one of nine young women graduating in a class of about 362 men, young men. Wow. Um, wow. And I turned my first computer on in my first digital systems lab in my freshman year of college, you know, and that was obviously mm. decades ago. Um, but uh, started my career as an engineer, systems engineer architect. Um, and it was really, I cut my teeth kind of very quickly on a field-facing role. Mm. All right. So rather than being kind of in the lab and R&D, I was really, you know, um, in the field as an engineer, taking what R&D gave us and trying to make it consumable. So so sort of backing up a little bit there. So here in the U.S., we have what they call STEM, which is, you know, science, technology, other other stuff related to that. What is the EM? I, I, engineering and math, I believe, or something like that. And so. I have a 12 year old daughter and there's a lot of initiatives in school to sort of get girls involved in mm -hmm. engineering, you know, in this world, but you were doing this before STEM was a thing. Uh, certainly. STEM wasn't a thing, but you know, I was, a, most of us, you know, math science students, we loved, I mean, I loved math. My dad mm -hmm. was uh, really big on, you know, 
pushing me to enjoy math and science. And it came really naturally. And so when I looked at what, you know, I picked all the math science classes um, and then it was like, what am I going to go do in college? And, and it was like, just seemed like a natural thing. And that's when the world sort of stopped and said, uh, yeah, no, maybe not. That's not a job for you. Wow. Um, that wow. was kind of the early, you know, you go through your entire like you know, elementary, middle school, high school education, you like do every class, right? And then all of a sudden you're making this career choice of like what might the rest of your life might look like. Mm-hmm. And I, it was funny that my dad, the same guy who was constantly encouraging me to do math and science was like, are you sure you're going to have to climb up poles and fix things? This is not what you want to do for a living. It's not for a girl. And I think that very first statement of this is not for a girl was like um, something I sat back and went, but why not? You know, not that I'm climbing poles or I'm going to do an electronic engineering, but whatever, but so what? You know, and so wow. that was the beginning of a really interesting journey. Um, and I think maybe, you know, it was the beginning, you know, in those years, you know, close to three decades ago, right, of, of what we look at a concentration called STEM. And, you know, decades later, we're still putting so much into encouraging um, young girls and boys, you know, not just to study math, science, uh, related um, classes and courses, but to actually consider a career in that, a life. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're encouraged, hey, you know, you're doing great in school, making A's in your in your math and sciences. Then you had then you had that that uh, wall or that a barrier that said, "Hey, are you sure?" What do you think in that moment? I mean. What was going on where you said, well, instead of saying, yes, you know, you're probably right. I should, I shouldn't go into that because there aren't that many girls in it. Why did you decide to step into it anyway and go for it? Being told no was in itself an, a motivator to show the world that you could be different. And of course I was, you know, I was one of these like rebellious um, young people. So I was like, dad, you've got two options. I can join the Air Force, <laughs> you know, because they are looking for young women <laughs> to study engineering the Air Force so I could go the other route. My dad was uh-huh. like, no, you know what? The other route's good. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so out of 300 plus, there were nine women. Yeah. Uh, what did you do to keep going when, I mean, I, I'm assuming there were all kinds of obstacles along the way. Uh, where That's did you what? find your motivation to keep going? Here's here's the beauty of being, you know, being faced with obstacles and being different, right? Part of this is a process and a journey. And I think it's it's um bi-directional in its process and journey, right? So to all those young men, you know, who, who looked at us nine girls, uh, they were like, oh, what are these girls doing here? But at the same time, we became part of the fabric in like two seconds, right? Mm-hmm. We were just we were just young kids studying, you know, the things that we wanted to study and we were friends and the world became, you know, this was our world and, and you know, and the, and the barriers, you know, would come and there's this cultural nuances, this is jokes, there are things, you know, look, I, you know, I didn't know how to turn on the computer, right? Like, you know, and so, haha, super funny, this girl doesn't know how to turn it on, you know, but, you know, it, it works out. You, you, um, you put the work in um, and, you know, it pays off. You know, and then the next barrier comes when you're looking for an internship and the next barrier comes when you're looking for your first job. And you know, that's what you, you continue to look at it and you say, well, how am I going to create opportunity out of like the adversity? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do yeah. that, you bring people along for that ride. Cool. It sounds like you began to anticipate 
the barriers as you went along. You're like, okay, I dealt with this in school. Now the internship. Now the next one. Do you feel yourself sort of getting apt? Like, okay, I want to do this. Like I'm psyching yourself up. I mean, it sort of becomes a non-issue then after a while, right? You're like, you know, because you don't, you don't, I mean, most, most of us, we don't walk around with a chip on our shoulder going, we're, we're different. Well, I just, we just want to do cool stuff too. You know, we want to work on the fun stuff. We want to be part of the team. And so you have that attitude and, you know, I think, and then people, you people start to align to that, right? Uh, they don't see you differently because you're, you're bringing value. You're bringing impact. You're, you know, you're being fun, right? You're being part of the crew and, um, and, and, and the world leans in. And I think that's, that's, hmm. you know, the journey of driving change um, and changing cultures. Here's a little bit of a quirky question. Sure. Feel free to pass on if you like to, but what right. do you think U.S. leaders need to learn from leaders in Australia that maybe they've, they've got worked out? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. So I learned this to, you know, in a different way, like coming out here. Right? We're, we're, we're straight shooters. Okay? We'll, we'll okay. work with you. We'll tell you what we don't like about you or what we don't agree with you. Where um, right or wrong, at least like I left 24 years ago. So I'm telling you, um, political correctness was not a thing for us, right? I mean, and that doesn't mean, doesn't, doesn't mean we shouldn't be politically correct. Uh, but it was getting used to a work environment, a culture where you had to be very methodical and measured in everything you kind of said and did. And, in, you know, the way we grew up, it was more like, hey, I'm going to tell you, like, that design, that's really crap, you know. And um, and then we're going to agree to disagree. And then we're going to go out for a beer after work. Mm. Uh, or here, you know, what we had to learn, well, you know, coming out was, well, yeah, well, maybe we crossed a couple of boundaries here and now there's a little bit of remediation work to be done gotcha, and okay. we don't cross that chasm to like, so like each, each needs to learn from one another. <laughs> I think so. maybe they're given more, a little more direct feedback in Australia, which, which is nice. And being able to be like just, sugar, yeah. disagree and still be friends in the U S maybe they've got a little softer touch that uh, helps propel the relationship over the long term. So, look, I mean, you know, we all evolve, right? Um, but yeah. maybe, maybe having a, a slightly more direct, authentic approach uh, might cut down the number of unnecessary meetings that one needs to have. <laughs> well, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, wow. Or something that, um, something that you would tell them to try? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, for me, be authentic. Right. Be, be authentic because um, everything else is taken. Right. Be, be absolutely authentic. Uh, be yourself. Um, also, you know, take risks. Risks are um, the road less traveled is. It's, it can be so exciting. Right. It can be so exciting. Um, and that not being afraid to embrace the unknown can open up so many opportunities. And sometimes when we think about like, you know, we look at career trajectories and growth, we think about a very linear serial path. Like, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that and do this because you've seen that being done before, which is awesome. But sometimes a jungle gym can open up some amazing opportunities. Uh -huh. So take those risks. The career ladder versus the jungle gym. You get more options. You get a little more creative there. What was your... Speaking of that, what was your first job? 
My first job, I was, uh, no, I went in, I was a systems engineer, socialist architect. It was like a combined role, right? But within, uh, I'd say like, the, you know, first six months, a year, um, pretty much they were like, hey, do you have a valid passport? And I said, yeah. They're like, well, you're going, you're going to the UK next week and you're going to go set up the system over there. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know anything about this, but we're going to go do it. And that was six weeks. And then there was this, and you know, these opportunities opened up and it was the willingness to learn and like really put yourself in situations that are like where you feel quite underprepared, but willing to put the work in. Right. And um, you go from strength to strength, but take them, take every one of those opportunities. Yeah, what what cool advice? Because a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people say, "Well, hey, I'm not I'm not qualified for that." Like, don't 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 spend your time and resources and put me under pressure to go to the UK and do this. Because, I mean, come on. Uh, but 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 being willing to say yes and like you having the confidence to say I can learn it. I mean, what what great leadership advice. I mean, what great learn. Yeah. I mean, be a continuous learner. I am still, I, I went back to school a couple of years ago. Um, okay. you know, for what? I was helping my daughter actually finish her, my oldest daughter finish her college applications to motivate her. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll do it too. So I went back and did a, a, a graduate program at NYU Law School and, and during school, I did a master's degree while working full time. It was like, you know, what? crazy, but I did. But wow. what I'm trying to say is, well, master's like, in what? Um, cybersecurity risk and strategy, actually. Uh, they with let NYU. you teach some of the classes too. A big fun. Did they teach? Did they let you teach some of the classes too? Uh, it was actually. I was very humbled, to be honest. You know, so much of uh, what the program offered was, you know, uh, not just on the technology side, but around uh, the legal side of it, which I've never been steeped in, right? From a from a pure academic perspective. So as we cross sort of privacy and policy and compliance with with technology, right? It's actually really getting kind of an academic front seat, but it was also the cohort, the people I was with from the FBI, from, you know, all of that, right? Mm. Uh, So the network, the exposure, being humbled to know that you don't know everything. It doesn't matter how high up in an organization or your career that you get, but being humble enough to say, like, I can learn, right? I want to learn. Um, I don't know everything and I'm okay with that. Going back to your, your, your daughter in college, what, right. how has parenting, uh, oh, impacted uh, uh, your, your leadership journey? In a very big way. I have three kids, uh, one in college, one going to college and one starting high school, three girls actually. Um, and let me tell yes. you, a parenting, yes, you know, parenting teaches you to be, um, number one, they're your biggest mirror. You can, hmm. you can be whatever you want to be to anyone else in the world, but, uh, they look, they see you, they look at you and they'll, they'll, they'll call you on it. Right. So be being very true to yourself, uh, in that sense, because you're a reflection. Um, and second thing is that not everyone is built the same. And really being able to um, be present and understand that not everybody's the same um, and that life happens, right? So having employees who are different, who have different circumstances and life happening to them, um, not everybody's built to drive as hard as, say, you know, the other person. And how do you design work and, and you know, build a team where it's a collection of human beings that are different. And so for me, at least parenting taught me that. Parenting taught me 
has is continues to teach me like that I need to check in. Um, so good, myself. so good. And I I hear laced in there is a big dose of empathy that you've probably. Because you're talking yes. about adjusting to, it sounds like you're adjusting to leadership styles or people's working styles. Because with three, I've got one, but three, I can imagine each one's a lot different, very different. And how you talk to them, what motivates them, you know, really, you really get to get a front row seat to seeing that. You do, and 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 the the, the beauty of yeah. parenting also is you may think you've charted the course for them, but they're going to chart the course for you. And it's their journey, not yours. And so it's super fun to watch, nice. right? It's like, you oh, know. Gosh. Well, okay. So I don't, I don't want to get too far away from Zscaler in the work because that was one of the things that really, uh, really intrigued me in terms of what y'all are up to. Will you give our listeners just a little bit, it's like a crash course on, yeah. you know, what what you guys are up to right now in Zscaler? Totally. I mean, for those who are not familiar with Zscaler, we um, accelerate digital transformation so um, our customers can be more agile, efficient, resilient, and secure. So um, our, our platform, the Zscaler Zero Trust Exchange, protects thousands of customers in the private and public sector globally uh, from cyber attacks and data loss by securely connecting users, workloads, and applications, irrespective of their location, or the devices that they're using. Um, and then by having this sort of peace of mind, right, of securing these organizations, they start to be able to harness uh, the true business value uh, in terms of digitization and innovation to run their businesses. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So leaders checking this out, you know, they may or may not be in cybersecurity, but they know someone in their company is in charge of this, but they, you know, may not, may not really understand the bigger questions that they should be asking. But of course they're thinking about our artificial intelligence. Probably they're thinking always those things in their mind. Like what kind of questions do you think that leaders should be asking right now when it comes to cybersecurity? Number one question is how safe is the organization, right? How safe are the crown jewels of the organization, right? Are your users protected? Their identities protected? Are the crown jewels of the organization protected? Your intellectual property, um, all your critical employee and customer data, right? All private, you know, identifiable, personal identifiable information. Um, that's your business runs on your intellectual property. Your organization runs on that. So first and foremost, it's understanding how protected that that is, yeah. um, and what that attack surface looks like. So uh, if, where, if, if they're I'm like, well, well, man, I really don't know. I probably should know. They so have a having a conversation with your chief information security okay. officer, and your chief information officer is a good place to start. Yeah, I mean it's. Lead it. The very foundation of leadership, we talk about this a lot on this show, is takes place in the conversations you you have. Like that's your only, that's really the foundation of every leadership action. Right. <laughs> is what the and the and the and what and one of the questions we often ask are what are the missing conversations? And right. it's probably a big gap in a lot of organizations is the top leadership's not having this. You know, they're they're not asking about how safe is our stuff. 
really from all these things. And it might be because, and I think about HR falling in this role too, where HR, and it can be like the the CIO or the, or the security team or even the IT group, they can be left off in a corner of the building and say, hey, those are those IT people. They speak a different language. We don't want them. We, we don't want to invite them to the board meeting because they're going to start telling us stuff, stuff we don't understand. You're working with cyber leaders and CIOs all over the world all the time. What's your advice for them in terms of getting in the room? So, so I think, Ben, the world shifted very quickly, right? Um, you know, IT and security has, you know, we're always, these leaders have always been keeping the machinery running, but they're, like you said, being viewed to be like the, the techno geeks that are in the back room, in the back office, right? <laughs> My people. Yeah. But, you know, the <laughs> uh, world shifted during, you know, I think through COVID, we needed to get the whole, the whole world back online, right? Everybody needed, you know, we were all, you know, sequestered somewhere in our homes or somewhere else, but, you know, certainly not in the office. Uh, but we needed to keep the world running. We needed to find a vaccine. We needed to mobilize a vaccine. We needed to keep the economy running, right? We needed to get public infrastructure running. Um, and so when all of this was happening, um, we needed the people that could get the, you know, every every organization functioning again. And we, we called on IT leadership. And then we called on our security team inherently as part of that construct because, as we're now trying to do all the things that people were doing in an office building where you had the perimeter secured, mm-hmm. now you're trying to do this from your house on, on potentially unsanctioned devices um, and conti- you know, broadly exposing the organization and, and widely, you know, it, uh, widening that, um, that attack surface, we needed all of this secured. Um, and so the mentality has already shifted. The mentality has shifted in that those IT and security leaders are now in the boardroom. The number one question that is asked is, are we safe? Mm. Because we're not safe, we're dead in the water. The business doesn't exist. Um, And that is a massive shift that's occurred in the last three, four years. So you hear these stories about ransoms Mm. and uh, things of that nature. What's Without scaring us too much, or just go with it, what's the the craziest cybersecurity story that uh or, or most memorable that you've that uh, comes to mind oh there's some really i mean i mean it's like watching sci-fi right i mean the you know the smarter we get the smarter the threat actors get yeah. um and with our entire lives lived online and you know in the digital world the ability to you know for these um nefarious actors to do the things they can do or like you know uns like unsurpassed right deep fakes being one people i mean you know jay our ceo just did an interview recently a couple of interviews actually in the press in the last couple of weeks or um there was one where you know a threat actor was posing you know many of us like you and i having a conversation today that's enough of my voice online right um that you know videos and voice and all of that mm-hmm. threat actor stitched together um a, a message an audio message uh, where it, you know, posed as Jay reaching out to an employee and asking this employee to get on uh, WhatsApp to communicate um, and to transact. Wow. None of that was real, right? A um, video so, of him. 
an audio, an audio clip, oh, for example, but together, yeah, from other interviews and things you had done, and you can simulate these yeah. things, right? And people can simulate these things even with video with deep fakes. Um, and so there's some crazy things there. I mean, um, some of like the more uh, you know massive um, ransom attacks that happened, say not Patia, where it took down massive shipping ports. Um, mm-hmm. It you know things came to a standstill, right? Uh, so the ability to impact, you know, I think like just day-to-day business and critical infrastructure is, is, is quite, it's quite scary, right? So the, the, the bad guys are getting smarter and we're going to get, keep getting smarter, um, and, you know, keep learning and practicing good cyber hygiene, online hygiene. So not to scare anybody, but, you know. (laughs) It's the world we live in. Well, yeah, just to be, just to build that awareness. And it's so easy to get extracted, extracted, distracted with the bottom line and focus on that monthly or quarterly or the, or the yearly target. But to, but to forget all these preventative things that can prevent you from a massive disruption down the road. And obviously having a good external partner can be a great way to stay ahead of the game, you know, like you guys. because, totally. And yeah. I think, Ben, I think it's reframing the problem, right? Like taking what we did in the in the physical world, in the, you know, legacy world and saying, okay, I'm going to like, pat, you know, bolt some stuff on and make it safe in this new world doesn't sometimes work. We have to reframe the problem and think about yeah. the fact that all those elements have shifted, right? I mean, we you know yeah. you're protecting things that were, in, you know, in the office, you're sitting behind a desk with like a, you know, a desktop to today you're grabbing a laptop in the office and then you're driving down to Starbucks and you're grabbing a cup of coffee and you're now doing stuff on your cell phone. You might be in a, you know, on a plane in an airport, you might be plugging stuff in, you know, charge your phone. Um, you might be using their Wi-Fi. Um, they're just, we're moving. We're, we're yep. everywhere. The applications that we're accessing are also not all our corporate applications that are hosted on-prem, right? They're in the cloud, the SaaS application. Yes. So like hotel Wi-Fi. Should you use it or not? Why not? Just make sure it's safe. <laughs> Just make sure it's safe. All right. So let's 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 bring this back to you because I'm gonna don't want to dig into your background a little bit more. I could be the well, what's the one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why do you think it's important? So for me, it's um it's about accountability, right? I for me, I love I love to I you know run an empowered team. I want my folks to feel that they own what they're doing. However junior, however senior, own it. Mm-hmm. Be the general manager of your business, whatever that business is that you're tasked to do, and be accountable. And I think, you know, being, you know, accountability is crucial. So it's so connected to kind of empowering individuals to take ownership of your actions and responsibilities. You're not deferring that to somebody else. Of course, there's a chain of command and, you know, process and all of that. But I think when they understand that every single person has a role to play and your job and your role is really important, you're kind of a cog in this, you know, piece of this massive Mm -hmm. puzzle, right? People feel like they want to, like they're accountable. They're going to own this. So Um, if you walk in tomorrow and this trait of accountability has been instilled throughout Zscale or everybody's like, I'm accountable. Yes. What? What does it look like? What do meetings, how do meetings look different? 
how does email traffic look different? Like what, what changes in terms of the, the sort of the manifestation? Yeah. So I think the manifestation is don't pass the buck, right? You own it. So think about why you're doing what you're doing. You know, not just like, Hey, I came in, I did a little part of it and I passed it on. It's like, you own it. Why are we doing what we're doing? Mm. Ask questions. So be very methodical about, you know, uh, about why we're doing what we're doing. Take ownership, um, define those metrics of success and be open about the fact that if we're working on something that we shouldn't be working on, call it. I mean, and we should be able to give employees the ability to do that, right? Dusting off a little bit of your Australian yeah, feedback mechanism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> give some feedback. Well, it's, it's bold. I mean, everybody's like, oh, accountability. Of course you want accountability, but do you really want accountability? Because uh, it's going to mean getting feed, everyone's giving feedback. They're asking why. I love what you said about asking questions. It's not just about ownership if you're not asking questions on why we're doing stuff in the first place because you don't really know what you're owning in the in the first place. Something that's like super so. broken. Inherits, inherited a project that's like all a mess, right? And you're trying to like patch the dam, but so she's take a step back and go, why are we doing what we're doing the way we're doing it? Is it because it's been done in the yeah. past or we, we ask questions about why reframe? So I'm very big on like reframing the problem. Um, and I'll tell my team too, I'll be like, Team, if I'm like totally off base here, challenge me, right? Because I'm telling you to do this and I believe in this. Um, and they will, you know, and they will challenge me. They're like, well, we don't agree with this. Oh, that's good. And that's learning for me. When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on and down the road? <laughs> Lots of twists. Lots of interesting twists. Um, let me think about, um, look, I think one unexpected twist was really, I mean, I, I, um, at kids, so, you know, biologically I was the one that was able to have them, right. Um, and you know, in those days it was, you know, th th there was some unexpected twists of like having worked so hard to get to a certain place, ready for that promotion, then taking maternity leave, mm. people wondering if they're going to come back. And, you know, coming back and kind of having to take a step back and like reprove yourself. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. And you, you times multiply that by having done that three times, right? For example. And so the, the, the road, you know, in, in, in those years were probably not as, 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 um, the trajectory wasn't, a, you know, as, as fast as it could have been. Right. Um, and yeah, I had to be okay with that, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. So there was, you know, some unexpected kind of twist out of my control, perhaps some on my, in my control. But the question really was like how I navigated that, right? And what I learned from that. Yeah, three times taking time off uh, for that. And a lot of parents and and fathers, I mean, obviously, biologically, that ain't happening. But the fathers are now being allowed, found by most companies, to also take some time off to help. Um, which leads me to why I'm such a big advocate for um, DEI and, mm -hmm. um, you know, not just from a, from an ethnic, um, you know, like different ethnic groups and, you know, different um, uh, communities, but also in really deep diving and addressing mm -hmm. kind of the nuances that are specific to a lot of our employee groups, Right. Uh, because really the brass tax is looking at, okay, if we're looking at women, 
how are we doing with the women that work in our company? Are, are we mm. giving them the opportunities we need to be giving? Do we have the right benefits, HR? Do we have the right programs for re-entry into the workplace? Are we getting the right number of people, you know, represented across all layers of management and growth? And then having that similar aperture for other, um, you know, underprivileged or, or, or you know, or minority groups as well. Because if you don't put a lens on those things, uh, these things, you know, kind of disappear into the system. So it sounds like you've made a lot of a lot of a lot of headway inside the organization on, on DEI. Teamwork. Once that, wait, what's that? It's teamwork, but yes. Teamwork. We, okay. We, it's we a team. Hard at it. Team, right? Yeah. Right. You're the executive sponsor. So there's 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 other people involved here. Since you have a vision for this for the organization, once you have gotten to where you hope to get with this, how is the company ultimately behaving differently out in the world? I, I love that question. Um, look, five years ago, when I got here, like you know, we didn't really have these employee resource groups, right? Um, and so now we have six of them. Uh, we have hired a head of DEI. Uh, we mm-hmm. have measures in place across our interview process, our language, our culture, our training for managers, um, budgets allocated for specific programs. Um, all of that, we've revisited our benefits um, across you know different uh, these different groups. Our HR team. So as a company, we've really embraced and um, continue embraces a lot of work to do. Right. Um, so it's it's a it's a first class citizen in how we operate. Um, we, I mean, I wouldn't even do a major conference without us looking at what our speaker bench looks like and how represented we are as a company. Uh, and, and you know, in terms of how we we bring ourselves to the world and how um, we represent our customers in that, it's just being thoughtful. Like you know, it, it has to be. It's not a tick the box exercise. Like you have to from a you know top down. We've got to walk it. You know, we have to like sincerely believe in it. When you leave the company one day, hopefully a long time from now, but when you do, uh, what do you hope will have happened in terms of your legacy? Well, I think that's the beauty of why we call it employee resource groups, right? We want our employees to drive, to lead, to be part of this. So I, my sincere hope, not just for what's our company, but you know the industry and for tech at large, is um, us to be more equitable um, because it's so much more fun when we all get to play. Um, and diversity of thought um, brings, you know, when you compose teams with the diverse people, um, we are going to be able to solve bigger problems. Uh, and we're going to be able to coexist so much better. So my 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 hope really is let fifty percent of the economy you know, of the population have a hand at playing in the economy, right? It makes for a better country, makes for a better company, right? Love it. A great place to stop this interview. Really enjoyed it. What what a great cherry on top, and and great message. Thanks for coming on the show. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free 
signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.